we're going to continue uh, on Revelation, and but a different perspective. All right, I have I have a a big out, outline to share with you guys tonight, and we're just going to we're going to handle one big question. The thing about this is, uh, I get the question: the closer we get to the end, the more things are changing. I have people that come to me and say, "Do you believe the tribulation period's already started?" Because the first part of the tribulation period. Uh, is peace, peace, uh, there will be wars and rumors of wars and all these other things, uh, but it doesn't start off like the second half of the tribulation period, okay, when, when the wrath of God is really poured out, things change. Not saying that the first half of the tribulation period is not rough. So people begin to think, have we started this? Which means that their question is, are we going through the tribulation period? And if anybody has been in church for any length of time, uh, you guys know that there's such a thing as pre-trib, which literally means that we believe that the seven... Does everybody in here know what the tribulation period is? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. So most part, I think we know that. I don't think everybody could explain the whole outline ver- word by word or uh, verse by verse. Uh, that would be maybe difficult to do, but you have the concept of it. So the question is, where people are pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib... Is in, in different churches. If you go to a different church, that's a question to ask. Where do you guys stand on this? Are you pre-trib, which literally means that you believe that the rapture happens before the seven years of tribulation? Are we mid-trib, which they believe that, th- that the tribulation period is seven years and it's divided in the, distinctly in Scripture by three and a half years? Does that mean that we're going to go to the halfway point before the great tribulation is God takes us up or we post-trib, which a lot of people believe that the second coming and the rapture happens simultaneous. We're called up, we go to heaven, and we come back down on the horses and we come back. So maybe some of you already have, like, I know what I, I, I believe, and that's great. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to throw out at you what we believe as a church. And when I say we believe as a church, I'm not going to take you to a a Baptist handbook. Yeah, I am going to take you to the Baptist handbook. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, you guys know what I mean by that. Uh, but it's not going to be some sort of information that has been passed on to generation and generation. This is what we believe. I want it to be deeper than that. If you guys notice something about your notes tonight, it's 95% verses. And the reason why it's that way is because there is no way with a doctrinal study like this that I could say, all right, take your Bible now and turn over with me. What would happen is we would, not, we would be here till 1 o'clock in the morning with no exaggeration if you see all those verses. And I know, no, I, I know you're probably curious about the subject, but all you were thinking, I don't want that. <laughs> so I just threw it all on a uh, uh, thing. So we might not read every verse. I'm hoping to. Uh, but I want a doctrinal foundation with these questions for you to say, okay, I, I could see where you're coming from or, uh, and let the Word of God speak to you as you do this. So on the front page, you have a basic timeline of the book of, uh, of time or the end. So if you look at it, there is the one spot that says the present church age. It says you are here. That's not saying the raptures happen tomorrow. We're, we're just saying we're somewhere in that timeline waiting at the door but no man knows the day nor the hour when, when God's coming back. So anybody that tells you, you automatically know that God's not coming back on that day because he said no man knows the day nor the hour. So there's no way to predict that. And so 
Uh, but if anybody else needs outlines, I'm pretty sure we have plenty of them. I want to make sure because there is so much that we're doing, uh, going through with this. But the Bible does talk about us coming to the end. And the one question, just the one big thought that I want, will Christians go through the tribulation period? That, that's the thing. And I'm going to give you nine biblical perspectives of why I believe that we are not. And maybe you want to challenge me on some of them. I think that would be great. If we have time at the end, we'll open it up for Q&A, and I'll let Brother Fenwick answer those hard questions. So we'll, <laughs> we'll do it like that. So uh, here we go. Pre-tribulation view, okay? Uh, we have 66 books of the Bible, and every book of it gives us what God wants us to know. And let me tell you that none of it will ever contradict itself. You're never going to read one thing and go, that doesn't make sense because it contradicts itself here. So a lot of the things that I'm going to teach you is maybe something that happens in Revelation, but I'm going to pull a promise or a principle from the Gospels that was written to the church or the writing, the Pauline epistles or whatever, they're written to the church so that we can understand exactly the overlay of this. So why Christians will not go through the tribulation period? Number one, because of the absence of the church in the tribulation period, okay, the absence of the church. Now, I'm just not going to give this to you. I, I want you to process. I want you to think about this. We are the bride of Christ, okay? Christ is coming back for the church. And just to lay this out, the, the, the history of the Jews and the promises to the Jews and the promises to the church are not the same. Does everybody have that? Amen. And sometimes we interweave those things and there's doctrines that do that. No, we're, it's not the same thing. Now, God's will save the Jews and things like that. I mean, it's the same gospel, but it's not. Anyways, number one, because of the absence of the church. The Bible has made a promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So if you get into the book of Revelation, I want you to see that from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, you get the point. What are we going to talk about through all of those? The church, the gospel, our mission, who we are, and what we do. So it's not a matter of we ever get to a portion of Scripture that it just drops the ball on talking about those things. It never does. But when we get into the book of Revelation, it mentions the church. We're in the book of Revelation. In John 1, 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And so he starts explaining the churches, how they should live during these church ages. So in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, we talk about these things. Then we follow these passages that describes this scene in heaven in, in Revelation 4.4. 4. And around about the throne there were four and twenty elders. And upon the seat I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in wine raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So the question is, who are these people sitting in heaven? And you say, why is that important? Because when we cross over these people and we get into the next, we get into the wrath of God from chapters 6 through 19, Guess what's not mentioned in chapter 6 through 19? The church is not there. The church is not mentioned. So the question is, where did they go? And it's like, where did they go? Because I'm proving to you right now, it's not a matter of Revelation just doesn't talk about the church. No, Revelation starts with the church. Literally going from church one, church two, it goes all the way through it. So who are these people around the throne? Because we see this crowd gathered around the throne of God. Well, we know that they're clothed in white. That's the description of that. So the question is, who is clothed in white in the book of Revelation? In chapter 3, it is talking about the church. 
And it says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. So you guys see what we're doing right now. We're taking a principle, and then we start filling in the dots of explanation of this. So they are clothed in white, which is a description of the saints that have been clothed in righteousness. That is what the description of the white, white is. Number two, the crowns on their heads. The Bible explains many crowns that will be given to the saints of God for their service to the Lord. In, in the book of Timothy, it says, Henceforth is laid upon me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. But not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. So we later read in Revelation 4.10, what what do we do with the crowns? It says, And the four and twenty elders uh, fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship forever and cast their crowns before the throne of God. Now we know that that is part of what we do when we get before God. The crowns are the rewards that we receive. We receive these crowns and what do we do with them? They represent the service that we did for God doesn't represent my glory, because what would you do with a crown? You'd walk around and show it off. But what do we do with the crowns? We take them off, and we cast them at the feet of Jesus. That'd be a great name for a singing group. Just note that. Um, we cast them at the, the, uh, the feet of Jesus. Uh, but crowns are not mentioned, or the saints, in any other part of Revelation. So all of a sudden, we talk about the end of time, and if this happens later in there, it's gone. But I want you to point out, it is here at the end of the church age and before the wrath of God. It is right there. So if it is that the rapture happens at the middle of the end, this is totally left out, and it totally doesn't explain why this is here. Number three, describes uh, them as the redeemed. So the question is, who are these people that are redeemed? A lot of people spell these out as being angels. The angels are not redeemed of God. We are. For thou wast slain as redeemed us by God by the blood of every kindred tongue and people and nation. In heaven, before the wrath of God is poured out, we find the redeemed in heaven. And we know that this is not the angels. But the Bible talks about us being purchased with the blood of God. In, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the church of God, which was purchased by his own blood, that is the church. So when you talk about the redeemed, you're not talking about angels you are talking about the saints of God that have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Next one, they are sitting around the throne with God. The question then is, who sits around the throne of God? There's 24 rulers there. In Revelation 4.4, and round about the throne were four and 20 elders. So when we get to heaven, we see this sight of them there. Uh, and, And so it doesn't really go into a lot of uh, explanation. The word elders in the Greek translated here is never used to refer to angels. It's only referred to men. So just take that. We need to take that off the table as we get into this. So let's get some other doctrinal uh, explanation of this. In Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. So God makes this very clear that when we get to heaven, we're joint heirs with Christ. That ye might eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones. Who is he talking to? We'll read the passage. It's Luke twenty two thirty talking to us. Matthew 19, 28, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye that have followed me in the, in the regeneration of the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory. Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So many illustrations of this in the Bible that are repeated over and over again. And he that overcometh uh, keepeth my works until the end. To him will I give power over the nations and shall rule over them with a rod of iron. 
In Revelation 5.10, when we get before the wrath, and he has made us to be kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So some of this is in reference to the millennial reign, which is the thousand years that happens at the end of the tribulation period. But at the same time, it still references us as kings and priests, the joiners of Christ, sitting on thrones and ruling with God in this way. It does come up because it says, the 20, it says 12 thrones in there, and then there's 24. And what does the 24 represent? A lot of people speculate that it is based on the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples representing the generations of the Old and New Testament. That's one of those things that we don't have a clear, that makes sense, and I've had people teach that, but we're not sure. But it does add up, and that is very clear in Scripture, that he had the 12 tribes represented the Old Testament, 12 disciples of the New Testament. He worked in those groups of 12, and there's 24. So chapters 1 through 3 explains the church. Chapters 4 through 5 is heaven. Worship, crowns, praise, redeemed, all those, and then no more church. And, and it's right there. In 6 through 19, we see uh, the tribulation that happens, and so that brings us to the next one. Why, do we, why will Christians not go through the tri tribulation period? Number two, because of the biblical understanding of the wrath of God. So this is a whole nother... We're kind of walking around this, and we're going to take different slivers and different angles, and we're just going to keep walking around it and saying, all right, well, what about this aspect of it? Because of the biblical understanding of the wrath of God, we know that Christians will face difficult times. Trying times in the last days, there will be a great falling away. The Bible even says that there will be perilous times will come, and that's talking to the church. That's not just talking about tribulation. In order for this to happen, a lot of the pieces have to be put in place as we, as we gear up for revelation, is for our, uh, gear up for the tribulation period. A lot of the pieces have to be put in place. Well, let me tell you guys, Scripture is very clear. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Yes. And I think that's why the Bible talks about there will be great falling away. Let me give you an illustration. I believe that COVID was part of that. Yeah. I, I, I believe that it was churches shutting down and we're not going back and there's some churches that are still like trying to not even get back into the groove of things and i'm just thinking what happened it is it is it's, it's scattered people it's scared people and it was just kind of a test well perilous times are coming to the church there's going to be more and more of that stuff happening where they're going to come down on us and i've given illustrations before this in the past where um, they've gone after us to make us pay taxes on portions of the property, and they went after more portions of the property. We pushed back and, and things like that. And then they've talked about if you don't do certain things that they could take away your tax exempt. Well, what's the easy thing to do? Just back away. Those are perilous times. It's difficulties, complications, challenges. I'm not talking about those things, okay? Let's look at this. Revelation 6.12, when we get past those passages that we talked about, not the church, not the heaven, for the great day of wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Please get in your mind, Revelation, tribulation is terrible. It is the wrath of God poured out on earth to destroy it at the end because he will make all things new. And that's what's happening. And, and to understand the purpose of what he's doing, it's not just the grand finale of it. It is the, what God said that he's going to take care of and redo. So the, the great day of wrath, God's wrath has come. 
The word wrath means violent passion, implications of punishment, vengeance. Okay, this is not perilous times. When it says in Revelation 6, and by the way, what was 4 and 5? Just get that in your mind. 6, what happens? It is the tribulation period is the wrath of God. And as I read through this, I hope it does shake you. I hope it, it makes you scared to death. It should. Um, God is a love, grace, hope, mercy. God is a God of comfort and all those other things. And all the church will go, amen, brother, amen, he is. God is also a just God. And there comes a time when he said, right now, now is the accepted time of salvation. Today is the day when you cross over, you have rejected Christ and you now experience the wrath of God, not the mercy of God. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. What does that look like? Let's read. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, Revelation 14.10, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the holy presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. By the way, you have to understand that revelation is hell on earth. Does everybody get that? You, you, you know there's a pit. They unlock the gates and literally <laughs> it's hell on earth. People say the term hell on earth. They don't know what that means. This is actually what it means. Okay, I'm not being crude in what I say. Revelation 4.19, and the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered a vine of the earth and cast into the winepress of the wrath of God. And I saw another sign in heaven and great marvelous seven angels having seven plagues for in them filled up the wrath of God. Next chapter 16 verse 1 and I heard a great voice out of the temple of God saying to the seven angels go your ways and pour out vials of wrath upon the earth. Uh, verse chapter 19 verse 15 and out of the mouth goes sharp sword with a that it should smite the nations and rule over them with a rod of iron, treadeth upon the winepress, the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. Do you notice it's chapter, chapter, chapter? It's not like the, 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 the tribulation is the wrath of God being poured out upon earth. Does God pour out wrath on his own? So that's the question. Would God even do that? And I've heard that people say that God would just put his hand on his people during this time or do that. And there's different indications of what God did uh, during the plagues of Egypt and how he spared uh, his people, but all the ones. Is that the same thing? Well, let's understand the difference between what happened then and the wrath of God. Does God pour out his wrath on his own? 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for, for God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, is that just talking about hell? Because you could take some verses out of context and say that it doesn't apply to me because when the wrath of God is talking about the wrath of God just being tied into hell, then it would eliminate the idea of what we're teaching about. But Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Who receives the wrath of God? For he that believeth not on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So you see very clearly those that receive the wrath of God being poured on them are those that don't know Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you by vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of who? Of disobedience. 
So it's very clear the answer to this, the wrath of God is poured out upon those that do not know God and are uh, walking the life of disobedience or rejecting God. To hear the wrath of God in Revelation seems to be unfair to those that will experience, but this, is very, this, this verse in this passage is very clear. It's not God's just randomly throwing people in this. It was the people of what? Disobedience. I don't want God. I don't want your religion. I don't want church. Don't shove it down my throat. Don't preach at me. It is a rejection of God. Well, you guys know this. I'm preaching in the choir when I say this. The rejection of God is the rejection of salvation, which is the acceptance of this. That, that is why we... Hey, guys, Saturday at 10 a.m., we're going to thrive. And like, okay, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are preaching the gospel in Dublin through, through our church plant. That's why we're doing this. This kind of stuff should fire us up of why we are so passionate about the gospel. Because this is true and it's coming. So, so when God writes to the church in Revelation chapter 3, what does he say? Remember, now we're going pre-wrath. And he's talking to the church Revelation 3.10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, guess what the temptation word means? The experience of evil, implication of adversity, uh, of the opposite of what we talk about the church was supposed to be. And literally, I will keep thee in the, from the hour of temptation. It's literally talking about that hour. It's not just talking about a, a, a short period of time, like we would say an hour. But when Jesus was saying even the garden, my, or talking about the garden, he said, my hour has not yet come until that time came. That's a season of time or a season that would come upon people. And so Jesus was terminology that was literally emphasizing this. So he, he literally was saying that in Revelation, before that time comes, that I would save you from the trial of the adversity that was coming. So, um, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his son from heaven, the rapture, who he raised up from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So, over and over again, it is emphasized two main things. Uh, revelation, tri tribulation, is about the wrath of God, literally the wrath of God being poured out. But every time we refer to the saints, it literally says, I've saved you from the wrath to come. Hell is definitely the wrath upon sin. But let me tell you, so is what happens in the tribulation is the wrath of God upon sin. Number three, and I know what you're thinking. It's almost 730 and he's only on number three. They do get shorter as we go. I promise you that. So uh, actually right now we're about halfway. Um, number three, because the rapture and the second coming are two different events. If you're new to this kind of doctrinal study, uh, the rapture is when God takes us up into heaven and we meet the Lord in the air. The second coming is when God comes out and comes to the earth for the battle of Armageddon to close things out. The Bible is very clear that these are two separate events. But the question is, if it's a matter of uh, being uh, mid-trib, that we, we should see the rapture happen in the middle. There should be something there in the timeline to say it. And by the way, you won't find it. The only thing that people even point out... Bob, did you raise your hand? No. Oh, you're scratching your Okay, I was like... The only thing that people... Me and Bob have these conversations all the time, and we, we like this thing, so I thought maybe... Uh, but the only thing that we find is people will reference the last Trump. And... I don't have time to get into that. I, I have a letter that was written 
uh, that we got in the mail today, and I'll reference some of this and people telling us, they wrote us a letter, and it's to Pastor Chris Andrews, and I don't even, maybe one of you wrote it, I don't know. <laughs> and inside of this, it gives the date of when Christ is coming back, and literally is just warning the church that they did the math, and the math, I highlighted it. Do you guys want to know when the date is? You guys want yeah, that's right. I hope it doesn't pass. I hope it's before this. It's 5-14-2028. So you got a good five years to kind of like, <laughs> so get ready. But no joke, you won't believe this. You won't believe this. This is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in all of my life. The beginning of this letter. When it starts talking about the Trump of God, guess what they are referencing that a lot of that means? Trump. Donald Trump. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and in the letter, they said that Donald Trump will be one of the two witnesses that preaches in the middle of Revelation. <laughs> so, if you need this deep doctrinal truth, I'll make copies for you. <laughs> I am like, never mind. We're getting sidetracked, people. We have an outline to get through. But literally... Chris Andrews, Pastor Chris, brought this in and sat it on my desk as I was walking out with this, and I'm like, I'm so taking that with me. <laughs> Stuff's out there. Okay, so let's talk about the rapture, talking about them being two separate events. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Not Donald Trump, different Trump. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Does anybody know what the word phrase caught up means? Rapture. Rapture is not found in the Bible, but the word caught up or snatched up is, and our word for that that we would use is rapture. So that's where the doctrinal terminology for that comes. Getting caught up to, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in where? In the air. So the rapture is a definite different event than Christ coming to the earth. It's Christians being snatched up. Now, to the world, how do they view us talking about this? Weirdos. So I'm talking, to, if you believe this tonight, I'm talking to a bunch of weirdos. So welcome to the weirdo club, okay? We're all here together, you know. But, that's, but what do we learn from this? Number one, the rapture is the church being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Number two, we're called up with a shout or a voice. And number three, it happens through the trump of God. The question is, where in the book of Revelation do we find this? Okay, because that is it. And the book of Revelation is unveiling things to come. So it's got to be in there. So the book is a timeline from beginning to end. It's not just random doctrinal things. And there are some things that it will pause on and then go into and then pick up on the story. And the thing, and I'm sure John's probably explained some of that to you guys as you've gone through that. Uh, so, but a lot of people believe that the rapture and the second coming happen simultaneously. And those that believe that, uh, that's, that doctrine is called post-trib. So if anybody ever says post-trib, that that's what they're talking about. But the second coming is when Christ happens in Revelation 19. And no one debates this. I don't think I've ever had anybody say, I don't believe that Christ is coming back at the end of the tribulation period. That's one that most people don't. It's very clear. But the second coming is when Christ ends the earth, and that's at the battle of Armageddon. So let's read that. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened up, and behold, the white horse, and he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Jesus 
comes back to the earth, and this is final war, and this is much different than what we were just reading in Thessalonians. And out of his mouth go the sharp sword that, with his, uh, that he should smite the nations and should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth upon the winepress with the fierceness, with the wrath of Almighty God. So this is so different than the rapture. So my question is, okay, and I know we didn't read all of chapter 19, and I challenge you to go back because I just could not fit it all in here. Where is anything describing what we know of the rapture found in that chapter? Anything. I mean, literally anything. There, there is not one ounce of anything caught up, trump of God, snatched up, meet the Lord in the air. None of that's in there. We don't hear any of those things. So, so who is with him? The armies which were in heaven followed upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So who is that? It's the church. It's the church, and it's the description. And by the way, did you notice the continuity? It describes us at the beginning and describes us at the end, clothed in white raiment. What is the only way you get into heaven? Because you're washed pure because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Every time you see us in heaven, you never see us as normal. We're all in the white clothes, not because it's some sort of weird club, okay? It's because it's representation, that the fact that we've been made clean. That's why it's not your works of righteousness, which we have done. You're never, your good works will never get you in because it's all about your, your, heaven being perfect. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us perfect. So we're even clothed to represent this. So who is with him? Those in white linen. We are with him. So where, how did we get up there? How did we get, because it's not mentioned. So you go back to the start of this chapter. When this begins, we find God's people oh, in heaven. 19 verse 1, and after these things I heard a great voice, which much people in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Who is the one that sings that? Well, you can't go back and say the angels. You know why you can't say the angels? They're praising God for their salvation. It's, it's totally different group. It, it can't be. So here's more details. If you get into 19 verse 4, and the four and 20 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. It, it, it all ties back in together. It, it, this can't be the rapture because not one thing describes the rapture is mentioned in the second coming. Um, so we are the army that follows him. We come back because we're already with him. And, 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 and there's so many more things that I'd like to say, and there's so much depth to this. And maybe we'll come back and hit some of these things at another time. But man, anyways, I'm not even going to go there. Let's just go. So... So where's the so the question comes in, where is the rapture mentioned in Revelation? Because it can't be one of the biggest events that ever happens in the history of the church. And Revelation is all about the close of things happening, and then you leave it out. It has to be there. So let's look at it and see. I believe it's we know that we will not go through the tribulation period because of the placement of the rapture in Revelation. And I kind of put that in quotes. And by the way, if you guys find any spelling errors, I did, I did a brave thing today. I didn't turn in my outline to the, the secretaries. I lost track of time, and I just went print. <laughs> so go ahead and look for them. It's okay. It's all me. I did it. Uh, it's spelled, yes, but if you use the wrong word, and it's right, it's correct, it doesn't work. So, uh, But I have spell check. Uh, but because of, this, because of the placement of rapture and revelation, so let's go back when the church is mentioned. 
For, okay, just to emphasize this, in the first three chapters of Revelation, the church is mentioned 19 times. So it's not like the book of Revelation just goes like, well, it's not about that. No, it was very much so about that. 19 times they emphasize thing, something in three chapters is a lot. Okay, this is how the message is, uh, closes out to the church age. Revelation 3.21. Now listen to this. To him that overcometh. Okay, overcometh what? Everything. <laughs> We're overcomers. How do we go straight from overcomers to the wrath of God? It's like, there's a contradiction. I will grant you to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcame and have sat down with the Father in his throne. So, okay, by the way, that is the last verse of the church age before we get into a description of heaven. Overcomers, victors, grant with me to sit at his throne. You guys are keeping up with me. This promise of what is to come. And then we get into he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath to say unto the seven churches, or to the churches. churches. So you flip the page, go to the next chapter. Guess what's not mentioned? The church. But what is mentioned this? Okay, watch this. After this, after this, after what? Churches. After I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. And a voice which I heard was there of a trumpet talking to me and said, come up hither and I will show thee the things must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on the throne. These verses do not say the rapture. OK, I wish it did. And I wish it just said and the rapture took place. Man, that would eliminate. But then we wouldn't have these arguments between denominations. What fun is that? I'm being facetious with that. No, I'm kind of telling the truth. <laughs> so let's break this down. After this, after the churches, after the seven churches, after everything that he says, no longer mentioned, I looked. So what does the Bible say? And I'm, I'm just showing you guys, breaking this verse down and seeing if it parallels the uh, rapture in Scripture. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then it says, and behold... Behold, I come quickly. Behold a sea. What do we see? A door was opened in heaven. Does the Bible talk about doors in reference to his coming? Well, let's see. So likewise, when you shall see these things, know that the time is near, even at the doors. I'm not, this is not me making up illustrations of this. Literally, if you know the description of what's happening now, and I've told you guys this illustration before, we're the church that is waiting for guests or waiting for the coming of Christ. And you think that you have time and really you hear the, you know, the, the doorbell ring. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, they're going to be here soon. And then the doorbell rings. You go, never mind, they're here. You know, there's more, no more time. And I think of that description of this, of, when, of the coming of Christ. He, at the time is close when you see these come, things come to pass. How close? Even at the doors. This is a visual of God opening up the heavens. And by the way, we've always had these pictures of the doors because there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell. How do we know there's the kingdom of hell? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So even when we have that, the Bible always describes two kingdoms in the kingdoms of hell having the doors and the kingdom of God. And I saw the doors. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me. Now is that reference in reference to the uh, rapture? It says, in the moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound. 
Yes. I heard a voice as a trumpet talking to me and calling me up. What is the thing that we know? It will be the trumpet shall sound. It's a sound of an invitation, a sound of authority, the announcement that the war is finished. They had different trumpets that would, they would do all the way through. They didn't have walkie-talkies during the wartime. So the trumpet was very much so part of their culture, a call to come. And he said up to me, come up hither and I will show thee the things that must come hereafter. John was seeing the future in this transition that takes place. The same language is used in Revelation. Let me show you when it comes to coming up to heaven, that same phrase uh, of, of come up hither. And they heard a great voice. This is in the middle of the two witnesses preaching, okay? And they're done. And I heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And what happened? And they sent it up into heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. So the terminology is even the same. You know, when he's talking about come up hither, and we see another place in Revelation where he was taking the two witnesses. Anyways, don't have time for that. John will get in that. You know the story. And then they preached. They were killed. They rose up. They came from the dead. God pulls them up. And so it's a powerful depiction of what God does in the power of the gospel, even in the middle of this, to the Jews. But he says, come up hither. And then, and then it talks about the same language of the rapture that we see in Revelation 4.1. Revelation 4.2, what happened? And immediately... What happened? I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on the throne. Why does it say this? What is the explanation of this? How does the rapture happen? In the moment and the twinkling of an eye is another way to say, and immediately. Then what happened to John? And immediately I was in the Spirit. He was no longer in the flesh. So why is that important? Because when we go to heaven, we are changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. We are, we are drastically changed. We're no more in the flesh. We have a new body. So does that match up when Paul says, and immediately I was changed? 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised to incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. And so we see these things. Why would it mention this? Because of the fact is that we see this even when we go home to heaven, we are changed. Then what happens? And immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. So what happens when the rapture happens? Okay, according to 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, then willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Again, this does not say the rapture, but everything that we do to break down what the rapture says in all these passages literally is a direct overlay of what we read in Revelation 4.1. Then what do you get? The praise of heaven and everything that happens before the wrath of God is poured out. So we definitely do not find any of this in the timeline of the second coming. None of it. Actually, you don't find it anywhere in Revelation except at the end of the church age. That's it. It's the only spot. You can read it backward, forward, up and down and stuff, and you only find it here. But number five, why do we believe we will not go through the tribulation period? Number five, because of the absence of the Spirit of God. Revelation is about the tribulation. is all about the work of Satan. You guys know that from beginning to end, this, the, the horses, the deception, the, the Antichrist. Antichrist. Who rules during that time? Antichrist. We see these things happening in Revelation uh, but what do we see now? Okay, notice what happens. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven unto the earth, and him was given to the key of the bottomless pit. 
And there came out smoke locusts upon the earth. It was given to them power. The scorpions uh, on the earth to have power. They tortured the earth for five months. But what holds Satan back? Why does he do this today? Bob was just saying, why doesn't he do this today? He can't. Well, there's a promise given to us that Jesus said, and I, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. I'm going to build my church, and all that hell has can't tear you down. All that hell, hell has is not strong enough for the church to, to be uh, brought down. Uh, he is unable to do these things because there's a great power of resistance today that hinders his plan, which is the church. Thessalonians explains what happens in Revelation. This is what Paul, uh, uh, Bob was saying. And now, he, uh, and now he, ye know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So why is the Antichrist not ruling yet? What his, what, why is he not shut down the churches? Why are, why are people still being saved and growing today? All because there's something that stands in the way. It is the power of the Spirit of God living inside of us. Us. So when we talk about the snatching away and the Spirit of God's not here, well, something has to be gone with that Spirit. Does anybody know what it is? Because I have a seal in my heart that is the Spirit of God, and there is no way that the Spirit can be gone and I can be here. It's impossible. Anyways, I'm going to start preaching here. It's like... This next verse says so much to explain these times. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So it's not a matter of us getting to the place where Satan's going to start working. He's already doing it. He's setting the stage for the Antichrist. He's deceiving people. He's manipulating. He's lying. God, in Job, where have you been? Walking to and fro, seeking whom I may devour. That's what he does. He's still actively engaged in this today. He's already working. But he is not ruling. There is a distinction. He is restricted of his authority, and the only thing that he can do is what God allows. But Satan's plan is emotions, and that's why we know that the Bible even says in Ephesians, because the days are evil, and the evil day, and all these things. But the mystery is some form of sin which was working secretly and silently, okay? And that's how he works today. Only he who will let, will let until... He be taken out of the way. Okay? The only thing that holds back Satan from doing these things is something has to be taken out of the way. No wonder we get to the church, we get to the rapture, the gate is pulled up, and boy, everything just happens. Why is that? Because that, that floodgate was opened up. And so that's the Spirit of God that works and hinders the work of iniquity. It's the Spirit of God. That's why... When the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world, that is powerful. Take it out of the way. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then shall the wicked one be revealed. Well, what is the wicked one? What are we talking about? Satan, Satan and the Antichrist yeah. just steps onto the scene and he deceives. And pe calling out peace, peace. Well, Satan is a deceiver. That's what he does and that's how he works. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, which literally we know that that happens at the end. Satan has plans to try to ruin the church, and he, he does it through lies and deceptions, but he does not do it through power that is able to overcome the church. He does not. We are the opposition, and he cannot do his thing in Revelation 
until we are taken out of the way. Okay, number six, because this contradicts the imminent return of Christ. It is the imminent return of Christ that we're waiting on. Is that not true? Literally, any point, any time. It, it, it's, there's no exact timeline, not even the angels in heaven. The Lord could come back at any time, okay? And that is what's emphasized in Scripture. So let's review something right now. The book of Revelation is of a, a list of exact time and events. Seven years, seven years, three and a half years at the, at the middle of it. It has a start and it has a finish. Within that seven years, seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments, or vile judgments. You guys know what I'm saying? There is a timeline. I'm in an exact timeline. You could actually take a whiteboard and go, oh, here come the locusts, check. I mean, that's literally what's happening. The Bible laid it out. There's no mystery left, okay? The details, the description of the people, the places, the disasters, the famine, the plagues, all of those things are listed in order. Then comes the second coming. Okay, if, if, that is a, if the rapture happens at the end of this, with the second coming, I know when God's coming back. <laughs> I know. Because it's a, it's a countdown to the very minute or the very day. So here's the question. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh in an hour that ye think not. How is that possible? You guys know what I'm saying? How is that possible? If we were to go through the tribulation period, how would this be possible? Because we have an exact countdown. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not even the angels which are in heaven, but my Father. So it doesn't add up. Okay, let me give you two more. I think it's two more, three more, but they're short. Uh, it contradicts the victory of God's people. In Revelation six seventeen, for the great day of his wrath is come, who shall be able to stand? The great day of his wrath. Is, so the, the thing is, the question is, who will be able to stand when God begins to pour this out on the earth? And guys, by the way, the wrath of God that does the earth, it's not like hitting this spot and hitting this spot. I mean, when those things, all the oceans are polluted simultaneously. There's no water. The rivers of water because of the wormwood and all that other stuff that you've ever studied. It is catastrophic worldwide stuff. So it's not like all the Christians are hiding in a cave. And even if we were, why? <laughs> Because I'm on a mission. I'm literally decommissioned at that point because all I can do is step back and watch Satan take over. That's a whole other point. But we are to thrive in victory. The Bible says for us, no weapon formed against us shall ever prosper. The Bible says to us, ye are the children of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. This verse is not true of the tribulation period. If there is no victory, no revival, no bringing down evil, there is a rise of evil, Satan leads. So the tribulation period is nothing but defeat, oppression, demonic activities, destruction, judgment, wickedness, and death. But the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. It comes down to purpose. And I ask you this, if we're in the tribulation period, what is our purpose? We, we, we have no purpose. It is just a matter of running from the wrath of our Father. And that does not add up. It does not add up. Tribulation period has purpose. You know what the purpose is? To pour out the wrath of God. Number eight, because we are the children of God and He is our Heavenly Father. It's a biblical principle from the very, very first foundational principle of being saved. You must be what? Born again. 
The born-again principle is not just a matter of we're in contract with God. That literally means we are born into the family of God. He is our Heavenly Father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Every one of those things is talking about an intimate, personal relationship with God. So these are examples then of what we have of what Jesus has said to the church. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father, which is heaven, give good gifts to them that ask Him? That doesn't line up in Revelation. Because I promise you, what's coming down is not good gifts from the Father. It's the opposite. Then we look at Revelation and see if that lines up. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture uh, into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. It just doesn't add up because uh, the tribulation period is darkness, no water, food destroyed, sun will scorch the earth, water into blood, great earthquakes, extreme hailstones, and beheadings. That doesn't come from the Father to His children. It just doesn't. Yes, God will allow us to go through opposition. And people have said, don't tell me, don't tell me that that couldn't happen in the end. Let me tell you about the Holocaust. And people will be like... Oh, that's true. Who are you to say that we won't go through the tribulation period if you look at all the opposition that happened to the church of them being burnt alive? But you know what the difference is that they're not understanding? My God did not burn them alive. It was man. The Holocaust was not about the work of God. It was man's wrath. Revelation can't be compared because that is God's wrath. It's not comparable, not the same. But you'll hear that argument with people. Um, but when it comes to our promise, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed uh, begging for bread. It just doesn't line up. Last one, because of this, and this was one that I just tacked on because it it's resonates with me, because there's no joy, no peace in looking for his appearing if we're going through the tribulation period. The Bible does not go into specifics concerning exactly when he will return, but this is what I know that I can look forward to it. I can look forward to it. It brings peace. Uh, it, it should be what brings peace and hope to our lives. We sing about long for it. We praise God for it. Uh, but then again, if I knew that my kids were going to go through this before we got to that, I would not pray for the coming of God. I would ask God for me to die before that happened. There's no joy in anticipation. There's no longing for the coming of Christ there is dread of the coming of Christ because I have to watch my family literally tormented by their heavenly father before they could ever gain that. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. I don't even think I have to connect the dots of that. It's like there's no fear in what I have. All it is is anticipation of the blessings that God has. So we have joy in our salvation.